And now, for the show reflecting on classic radio, Hollywood 360, with your host, Carl Amari. I can see you right now in the kitchen, bending over a hot stove, but I can't see the stove. Who knows what evil lurks in the hearts of men? The shadow knows. <laughs> Would you mind telling me whose brain I did put in? And you won't be angry? I will not be angry. Abby someone. Abby someone. Abby who? Abby normal. What do you do, Carl? Carl is a inventor slash entrepreneur. Yeah, I'm still looking for that home run, you know? I mean, when I saw the iPod first time, I was like, yeah, I gotta kick myself. That was so hard on him. What's your name? Carl's my name. Atomic batteries to power. Turbines to speed. Roger, ready to move out. Hello, everyone. I'm Carl Amari, and this is Hollywood 360, the radio show that presents the best in classic radio. This hour on Hollywood 360, William Conrad stars in a horror story set in the Himalayas on Escape from 1953. Then it's part one of a comedy episode of The Danny Kay Show from 1945. With me to help present these radio classics is my co-host, Lisa Wolf. What's up, Lisa? What's up, Carl? Yeah, you enjoying all these classic radio shows? Uh, you know, I would not be here if I wasn't. You know, so. uh, when Lisa first started this uh, show... Many, many moons ago. You really didn't know much about classic radio at all. Now you're like an expert on these yeah, shows. Yeah, well, I've learned from the best of the best. Well, so, you know. You know, I have to agree with you on that. I, one. I know. Um, so, uh, yeah, you really do know these shows now. Like, if I say Escape, you know what it is. If I say the Jack Benny program, you know the supporting We've characters. We've been doing this show together for about Long 10 years. Wow. So, uh, I hope I've How picked up something along the way. How you put up with me that long? I, I ask myself that I, every week. You deserve more than a medal. I know. I know. All right, well, it's time for Escape, radio's greatest series of high adventure and mystery. Came to radio in 1947. Lasted seven seasons, and the voices of Escape, William Conrad and Paul Fries. And I tell you, this was a great series. It was sort of a cousin to Suspense, a lot like Suspense, only it didn't have the big-name stars Suspense had, and it didn't have a sponsor for most of its run, but it was a great show. And we have uh, an episode now called The Abominable Snowman, starring William Conrad. Let's go back to September 13, 1953, for part one of Escape. Tired of the everyday grind? Ever dream of a life of romantic adventure? Want to get away from it all? We offer you Escape. Designed to free you from the four walls of today for a half hour of high adventure. You are high on the frozen slopes of a great mountain. Terrified and caught in a blizzard. While the thing for which you've been hunting has suddenly become the hunter. And if it finds you, then for you and your companions, there can be no escape. So listen now as Escape brings you Anthony Ellis' exciting story, The Abominable Snowman. first bit of luck was when we hired our Sherpa guide, Nasang. That was in Darjeeling. When I told Nasang what we were after, he hesitated for a moment. 
And then he said, The Sabs have not come to climb Shomolongma? Oh, no. We're a little late for that. It's already been done. The other two Sabs and myself are here for the reason I told you. Meto Kangmi? That's right. The Sabs always hire me to climb the mountain with them. But never this. Are you afraid of them? I have seen one. You've seen one? Yes, many of us have seen them. Uh, uh, wait a minute. Alan. Yeah? What's up? I'm interviewing a Sherpa in here. He says he's seen one of the things. Hey. Where's Frank? Uh, went out to get some tobacco. Oh. All right, come on in. I think this is our man. All right. Nasang, this is Mr. Ferris. Sir? Hello, Nasang. Nasang was telling me about what he'd seen. Go ahead, Nasang. It has a face that is evil. And when it saw me, it uttered a strange cry and bounded away. Sometimes leaping, sometimes running with great strides. It was dusk. And after a moment, I lost sight of it in the snow. Where were you? With the French expedition. It was at 19,000 feet on Shomolungma. How far were you from it? 30 feet, uh, perhaps 35. You're sure it wasn't an ape? I am sure. There is no ape in the Himalaya to make such a track. What about bears? This too I have been asked. But does a bear walk always upon its hind legs? Well, that's enough for me. Alan? Yeah, he'll do. Yeah. But if you want the job, Nasang, you're hired. You are going to try to capture a yeti? Yes. It will be a difficult thing. But I will serve with you. Yeti, wild man, Netokongmi, abominable snowman. That's the name the natives had for the things, and Alan Ferris, Frank Davis, and I were going to try to get one. We'd all done some climbing, but climbing was secondary here. Expeditions since the beginning of the 20th century had heard of the abominable snowman, observed their tracks, and one or two white men claimed to have seen them. Great ape, bear, monkey, wild men. We didn't know, but we were going to find out. Four weeks later, we were in the Rongbuk Valley for our interview at the monastery with the Lama. The journey from our base had been uneventful. The weather was good and our spirits were high. From the Lama's window, we could see the great peak of Everest in the distance. Why, gentlemen, do you desire to capture Mitokangmi? Because, sir, we believe it will be an invaluable aid in our prehistoric research. That is, if these things are in any way human. And for this reason, then, you have formed the expedition? Yes. You are all familiar with climbing? Yes, we are. You would need to be. The Yeti move at high places. Dangerous places, so my people tell me. Also, the monsoons are arriving in a short time. I understand that. Then do we have your permission to investigate in the valley and beyond? You have my permission. Oh, thank you. I appreciate it. There is one point, however. I must request that no wild animal or being in this valley be shot. Our religion does not allow it. We'll respect your wishes, sir. Now, may I ask you one more thing? Of course, my son. 
Do you believe in the existence of Metokangmi? I myself have never seen them, but I know that they live here, above the valley, on the goddess mother of the world. It is also true that at least five, and possibly more, inhabit the upper Rongbuk and its glaciers. Thank you. Do you have porters? Our guide, Nasang, is hiring them now. Yeah. I trust that he meets with good fortune. The old man, with great dignity, bowed slightly to us and we were dismissed. But I thought I saw the shadow of a smile on his lips as he turned away. And it wasn't long before I found out why. Nasang returned to us in our quarters and his face warned of bad news. Sir, I am unable to hire any porters. Why not? They know the purpose of the expedition. They will not go. Why? They are afraid. The snowmen? Yes. They live in peace with them. They wish no trouble. They are afraid. Well, all right. It'll be rough, but we can't waste time talking them into it. The monsoons will be coming in a couple of weeks. It's not the same as climbing, Everest. We'll travel light, just the four of us. Set up a base and start hunting. All right with you, fellows? Yeah, yeah sure. Nasang? I will go with you. I am not afraid. Good. Well, let's take a look at the map. Now, we'll each carry a capacity load. We should be able to make this point below the glacier in two days. That's 16,000 feet. Mm. And if our abominable snowmen are in the vicinity, we've got two weeks to find them. When do we start? Tomorrow. Good. Well, that's it. Um, Paul? Yes, Frank? Uh, one thing. What do the natives mean when they say they don't want any trouble with the things? Uh, superstition, probably. Oh, no, sir. It is not superstition. It is because the Yeti are cannibals. That is why the porters are afraid. The weather turned ugly the day we left the village. A cold Tibetan wind blew down from the west, and with our heavy packs, it took us much longer than we'd thought to arrive at the point just below the Rongbuk Glacier. We set up our camp and made ourselves as comfortable as we could. The next morning wasn't so bad. There was a heavy overcast, a promise of snow, and the peak of Everest looming over us was shrouded in clouds. The four of us sat in the tent looking at our charts and drinking hot tea. I figured it'd be easiest if we started at the East Glacier. It's only about three miles from here, and with the weather as stinking as it is, we won't run too much of a risk. What do you think, Paul? Well, that sounds all right. What do you say we split up? Uh, you and Nasung, Alan and me. We'll work up on either side of the ridge, here. And if we spot any tracks, fire two shots. Hmm? Yeah, good enough. Now, the big thing, though, no matter what... Don't shoot at the thing if you do see it. Okay? Okay. All right. If we lose touch with each other, we'll meet back here at five. All right, let's get going. We'd left the base at six that morning, and the going was rough. Alan was pretty well shot by the time we got to the 17,000-foot mark. He was having a tough time breathing, and the wind had come up again. And with it, a fine, powdery snow that blinded and choked us. Hey, I, I, I gotta take five. All right, 
Here, move over here. Might cut some of the wind. Oh. Oh. Oh, that's better. Well, we might as well start back for the base. We couldn't see anything in this anyhow. You know, right now, I don't care whether we do or not. Uh, this is good weather. Wait until the monsoon starts. No, no, not me. Oh, I'm cold. I've never been so cold in all my life. We stayed in the half-shelter of an overhang for ten minutes. And the wind was quieter and the snow had let up. I noticed that the tracks we'd made coming into the shelter were gone now. But we didn't have any worry finding our way back. I figured that Frank and Nassang had met pretty much the same thing on their side of the ridge, and we'd meet them at the base. So Alan and I picked ourselves up and started off. Boy, I, I thought I was in pretty good shape, but up here, boy, I'm nothing. Oh, Paul, I'm tired again. We'll just take it easy going down. You haven't got frostbite, have you? No, no, not yet, but... What? The left there. Yeah. They're, they're not our tracks, are they? Not unless you took your boots off on the way up. Must have just passed by. It must have seen us. Yeah. Come on. We were looking at a set of tracks newly made in the fresh snow. And they'd passed so close to our shelter that the thing must have known we were there. They weren't the tracks of a bear or an ape, but more like a splay-footed naked foot. The tracks of the abominable snowman. We began to follow the tracks, and for a while, perhaps 150 yards, it was easy... And then the thing made a leftward traverse down a deep slope. We could see the prince clearly, angling with a sidestep, as sure-footed as a mountain goat. Except that it was walking on two legs. This way, Paul. Take it easy, Alan. It's get, getting steeper. Boy, that thing sure can climb. Hold up. Alan. I think they... Hold it. And he dropped out of sight over the lip of the crevasse. We weren't roped together. I got as close as I dared to the edge. The loose snow crumbled away from my outstretched body. And I looked down into the blue-black darkness below, falling away into nothingness. He was gone. Finished. All I could think of was the noise he'd made when he went over. Surprise, angry, then silence. The crevasse might have been 500 feet or 5,000 Snow started to fall again. Big flakes this time and wet. I stood up. And across the gap 20 feet away, I saw the tracks of the thing continuing on and away until they became lost in the blank whiteness of the glacier. It had jumped and landed still upright on the opposite side. I went back to the base. And an hour later, Frank and Nassang returned. I told them... And we were quiet for a long time. Then... Paul, are we going out again tomorrow? Why not? I just wanted to. We should go back. 
It is an omen. I tell you, he was going too fast. He didn't have a chance to see the crevasse. That's not an omen. It's bad sense. Metokong, me cannot be caught. We'll catch him. Uh, but there are only three of us if we had a few more men. I tell you, the thing was so close that we'd, if we'd looked up at the right time, we'd have seen it. You think I'm going to give up now? Next time we'll get it. There was no chance to get Alan out. Huh? No. You think if we went back... We'd... Listen, you think I don't want to? He's gone. I tried, but he's gone. Okay. Oh, okay. Wish that wind had let up. Maybe by morning. We'll try again tomorrow. It was cold that night, and somehow colder because Alan was gone. I heard Frank tossing around, and I knew he was thinking about a body broken and lonely, lost somewhere in a deep and dark place. In the morning, the three of us packed our gear, camera, food. It was a light pack. We started up again. This time to a crest above the ridge. It was tougher than it looked, and we weren't even halfway up before we had to rest. But as I looked to the west, I saw clouds boiling up. Not white, but somber, threatening. And below, the valley looked grim. Ugly gray. And then the sun was gone. And we kept on going up. And then I had a strange feeling. It was nothing I could see, nothing I could hear, only a sensation of being watched, followed. Wait a minute. See something? No. I, I have felt it too sad. Something following us? Yes. It is Metukongmi. How do you know? It can be nothing else at this height. There is nothing else that lives. Maybe it's curious. No, don't turn around, Frank. Listen. When we get up to the crest, you two flop down. Stay in sight of the slope here. What are you going to do? Move around the hump and watch. If it thinks we're all together, it may come close enough to give us a chance to get it. You better watch your step. It looks nasty. I will. Now, come on. It took us another 15 minutes to get up to the crest, and then Frank and Nassang hunched down to rest. They were in clear view of the slope we just ascended. I moved back out of sight and made my way toward the hump, which backed a long shelf on the north side of the crest. In a couple of minutes, I lost sight of them and of the slope. The wind had increased, and the clouds had spread now to become an iron-gray canopy over the mountain. It was getting colder again. I don't think it took over five minutes to reach my lookout point. And when I did, I had a perfect view of the ground we'd covered. There was nothing there. The men were out of sight. And I waited. A minute. Two. There was nothing. Until... It came, carried on the wind, a cry, and then shots. I scrambled back to where I'd left them. And when I got there, when I got there, Frank was lying on his back. And I couldn't look at what was left of his face. There were terrible deep rents in his clothing, and he was dead. The song lay huddled a few feet beyond, a gun in his hand. Son. Yeah. What is it? What? Metokong me. It came from behind us. 
before I could do road again. It has killed. Then it sprang at me. It is strong, Sam, with the strength of ten men. All right. All right, can you sit up? My leg, it struck at me. My leg, broken. I shot at it, but I missed. It jumped away and was gone. Okay. We'll have to figure out a way to get you down. That's the first portion of Escape. More after these words. More Hollywood 360 after these important messages. And now back to Hollywood 360 with Carl Amari. Now back to Escape. We were four hours from camp, and with Nassang practically helpless, it could well be four days or never. I buried Frank where he was lying, then began to work down the slope. Nassang was in great pain. He half slid and crawled as best he could. That part of it wasn't too bad. Then we were at the bottom, and there was a ledge to climb. It took well over two hours to do that. And we still had three miles of difficult terrain to cover. The stops became more frequent. Stop. Leave me here. Go back. No. My leg is frozen. There is no feeling anymore. I shall not live much longer. Don't be a fool. After a rest, you'll be able to go on. Soon the night comes. If we are both caught here, we both die. There will be snow, much snow. Leave me, sir. No, we're going back together. Please, let me sleep. Let me sleep here. I cannot go on. You've got to, Nassan. No, no more. The ridge is only about a half mile. From there, it won't be too bad. No, no, let me stay. Nassan. Let me sleep. No, no, come on, Nassan. Come on, you're not going to sleep. Nassan. You'll be all right. Behind you, Sam. I turned. And for an instant, I saw it outlined against the snow, crouching of medium height. It was covered with thick hair. The face was reddish and bare, a semi-human face. And it was not an ape. The thing made a tremendous leap and was gone, but I'd hit it. I knew I hit it. It took me. It was he. Did you kill it? No, I don't think so. Then it will be back. It has tasted blood. You must leave me. No, get up. Get up. Come on. Let's go. No song. No song. I'm very sorry, sir. Will you ask the Lama to make a prayer for me? Sure. Sure I will, no song, but... Give my pay to... My wife in their healing. I'm sorry, Sam. I die. The song. The song. And the darkness came, and with its shadows and the snow, every hillock, mound became the thing. Motionless, waiting. In my mind, I kept seeing it. Its long arms, powerful, and the dreadful claws it must have possessed. 
I carried my gun in my gloved hand, but I knew that I couldn't fire it unless I was barehanded. And that meant my hand would freeze to the gun. And then suddenly I felt myself slipping. It was a short incline, but when I reached the bottom, the gun was gone. I'd lost it. I've got to find it. I've got to find it. And I saw a glint of metal in the snow ten feet away. And at the same time, above me at the top of the bank, the thing, it stood swaying a little, looking down at me. I moved slowly, slowly, inched my way toward the gun. And as I drew closer, I kept my eyes looking up. But it didn't move, only stared down at me. And I thought I saw its little eyes glittering. And I thought, if the gun's frozen now, if it's frozen, doesn't fire. And I was nearer to it, near enough to take off my glove. But that moment in which I'd have to bend to pick it up, that's when it would leap down at me, tear my throat out, tear and... I had the gun and I pulled the trigger. And it lay there, strange and terrifying, its blood staining the snow. And it looked at me. Looked at me. Until the sound died away. It was dead. But the eyes kept on staring. It must have been the shots that loosened the snow and ice on the ridge above. I heard the sound, and I ran. Ran! It passed me and swept on down toward the valley, the thunder of it dying in the distance. And when I went back... There was nothing there. It was buried somewhere under tons of snow. I made my way back to the wrong book village. I don't remember how. I didn't remember anything for two weeks after. But I'm alive. And I'm not going back there again. That's all I know. Or want to know about the abominable snowmen. Escape has brought you The Abominable Snowman, written and directed by Anthony Ellis, starring William Conrad as Lane. Featured in the cast were Anthony Barrett, High Aberback, Jack Crucian, and Edgar Barrier. The special music for Escape was composed and conducted by Leith Stevens. This is Roy Rowan speaking. This is the CBS Radio Network. 
And that's Escape with the Abominable Snowman, starring William Conrad, also in the cast, High Averback, Tony Barrett, Edgar Barrier, and Jack Crucian, with Roy Rowan announcing as heard on CBS from an original broadcast date of September 13, 1953. Before we tune in to the Danny Kay Show, I want to remind all of our listeners about our website. It is Hollywood360radio.com. Check it out. There's a great podcast there. And uh, don't forget also to check out Remind Magazine, our main sponsor here on Hollywood 360. Remind Magazine is a terrific nostalgia magazine. comes out every month. It's about a 70-plus page magazine, full color. And I write an article for the magazine every month uh, called Radio 360, so check that out. Go to RemindMagazine.com. You can pick it up uh, at any Barnes & Noble store across the country, any Walmart store, but the best way to get Remind is to go to their website, RemindMagazine.com. All right, time now for The Danny Kay Show. This was a comedy series. came to CBS Radio in 1945. featured singing, music, and various comedy sketches. The cast had Eve Arden in it, along with Lionel Stander and Fran Nelson. The supporting casts included Kenny Delmar, Everett Sloan, Joan Edwards, and Butterfly McQueen. The producer was Goodman Ace of Easy Ace's fame. And in 1963, it made a transition to television. But we have a radio broadcast for you now from January 27, 1945. This is called Singing in the Bathtub. Here's part one of the Danny Kay Show. Pabst Blue Ribbon presents The Danny Kay Show. Yes, neighbors, this is The Danny Kay Show with Eve Arden, Lionel Stander, yours truly, Ken Niles, and the outstanding music of America's top band, Harry James and his music makers. For your entertainment, Pabst Blue Ribbon, 33 fine brews blended into one great beer presents 33 fine talents blended into one great comedian, Danny Kay. At the moment, we find our hero in his hotel room, splashing and singing in his bathtub. Just a moment, please. Now, who is it? Peekaboo! Oh, it's you, Lionel. Gosh, this water is cold. Well, if it's so cold, why don't you turn the hot water on? What, and kill the goldfish? <laughs> but, but, Danny, why do you keep your goldfish in the bathtub? Because I don't fit in the fishbowl. <laughs> Oh, look at those goldfish, Lionel. Aren't they cute? What's the matter with you doing? <laughs> yeah, they are cute. Yeah, and they're smart, too. Come on, you little devils. Whip your little tails around and wash the soap off Daddy. <laughs> Amazing! Oh, nothing at all, Lionel. Nothing at all. Now, come on, goalies. Do a trick for your Uncle Lionel. Well, I'll be done. They're blowing soap bubbles. <laughs> yes, well, I better hurry up and get dressed. And I see a brisk rub down, a brush of the teeth, and oh, darn it! Hey, Danny, what are you doing? 
I squeeze too much toothpaste out, and I'm having the darndest time pushing it back in the tube. Yeah, I wonder why they make them tubes one way. Hey, Danny, why you got all your suits and stuff laid out? Are you going someplace? Am I going someplace? <laughs> I'm going to Washington, didn't you know? I didn't even know you were elected. <laughs> I wasn't elected, Lionel. I'm flying to Washington today to entertain for the March of Dimes. Yeah, all right. I'll bet you'll have fun there, Gee. Uh. I can just see it. The nine of you out dining and dancing every night. Nine? What nine? Well, I read in the paper that there's eight girls for every man in Washington. <laughs> Boy, I wish I could go up with you. I'm sorry, Lionel. Sorry, Lionel. Oh, that's fine. <laughs> maybe some other time, maybe. Yeah, but by then, the odds may be only six to one. So you're flying to Washington. Yep. <laughs> What's yeah. the matter? Well, you know, I've never flown in a plane before. Well, if you've got to fly, it's the best way. <laughs> Say, Lionel, would you do me a favor and help me on with this, please? Oh, sure. Here, put your left arm in first. Okay. Now, this goes around my left leg here. And that one around my right leg. Now, how do I look? You look chick. Real chick. Hey, uh, could you help me out with my top coat now? Okay. Hey, wait a minute, Danny. What? Don't you think you should wear your parachute over your top coat? <laughs> oh, Danny, are you ready? Can I come in? Oh, sure, Evie. Oh, hello, Miss Darden. Hello. Well, Danny, I see you're all dressed for the plane. Yeah. How do I look? Well, don't look now, but your ripcord is showing. <laughs> Anyhow, why wear a parachute in a hotel? Why wear a pa... We're going down in the elevator, aren't we? Oh, Danny Kay, you're about the most jittery man I ever saw. Well, I can't help it, Edie. It runs in the family. What? Sure. My father always had a fear of high altitudes. He'd get a nosebleed every time he stood on a thick carpet. Gosh, was your father really like that? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. He was afraid of water, too. He wouldn't even get into the bathtub unless there was a lifeguard sitting in the soap dish. <laughs> Gee, you must have had a big soap dish in your house. No, Lionel, it was a small lifeguard. Say, Danny, when you get to Washington, I'll bet you'll brush elbows with some dignified dignitaries and potential potentates. <laughs> certainly will, Lionel. Gee, suppose you met an Isle or a Duke. What would you say to him? Oh, that's easy, Lionel. I'd just say, uh, your lordship. That's very good, Danny. And what would you say to his wife? Your ladyship. Mm-hmm. And how would you address an admiral? Your flagship. <laughs> sure. And the admiral's wife is your battleship. Oh, no. Oh, I was only kidding, Evie. I know how to act. You know, if I meet someone from the French embassy, I bow from the waist and say, Je le crois ce jour, je te je un plaisir, je un Non. That sounds good, but what does it mean? I don't know. <laughs> well, who cares anyway? Hey, Danny, what would you say if you met the Chinese ambassador? Oh, the China, 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 Chinese ambassador? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> uh, Lord. 
If that means what it sounds like, I'm too young to listen. Oh, hello, Harry. Hello, Eve. Say, Danny, what's that big package you've got out in the hall, all wrapped up in blue paper and pink ribbons? Oh, that's a little gift I'm taking to somebody in Washington. Little gift? It's huge. What is it, Danny? Oh, it's that milking machine I bought last week. I, uh, I'm going to present it to the Secretary of Agriculture. Danny, the Secretary of Agriculture doesn't want a milking machine. Look, Edie, let's leave that up to him, shall we? Well, let me ask you one thing, Danny Kay. Have you ever seen a cow in Washington? No, and I've never seen one in Philadelphia. But I got milked in both places. I think that's a very brilliant and thoughtful gift, Danny. Of course, the secretary may think you're a little nuts, but it's still very thoughtful. Oh, thank you. A milking machine for the Secretary of Agriculture. It's too bad you haven't got an X-ray machine, so you can take it to the Secretary of the Interior. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that would be silly. But I think my gift is very appropriate. I even wrote a little verse to go with it. Would you like to hear it? No. 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 Let's try that again, shall we? (laughs) Would you like to hear it? No! That's fine. (laughs) I'll read it to you. (laughs) Dear Secretary of Ag, if the milk supply doth lag, attach this machine and your cows will come clean. Why should you be left holding the bag? (laughs) Hey, that's fun, Danny. Uh, Let me try to make up one. Go ahead. The sack of egg, what's here in this bag, ain't no Scaparelli design. But any cow dressed in it will do her best in it. And she'll look simply bovine. <laughs> say, that's not bad, but how about something like this? If your cow looks blue to you, won't say moo to you, and milking time makes her shudder, attach this machine, she'll be more than serene. And by Jove... She'll be utterly utter. (laughs) Oh, isn't that lovely? A hep cow with silk milk, dream cream, and utter butter. (laughs) Look, Danny, you better get to the airport. You've got to pick up your tickets and everything. Okay, Edie. Lionel, you take my overcoat, the milking machine, and my bag. Okay, I got him. What's that? Oh, I forgot to tell you. Keep the milking machine away from that cowhide bag. Passengers for plane to Washington, gate number three, please. Passengers for plane to Washington, gate number three, please. He must be a new man. You can understand everything he says. (laughs) Hey, Danny, that's your plane. You better get over to that ticket window and ask the girl for your reservation. Gee, look at how long that line is. Well, while you're waiting, Danny, I'll get your bags in the milking machine. See you in a couple of minutes. Okay. Uh, pardon me, is this the line where you wait for your reservation for the Washington plane? Yes, it is. <laughs> Gee, I, uh, I hope I don't have to wait long. Say, uh, by the way, how long have you been waiting for your reservation? What day is it? Uh, Saturday, January 27th. Monday will be three years. Three years? Well, why didn't you try the train or the bus? Oh, I prefer going by plane. It's quicker. (laughs) Oh, Mr. Jellison, here's your Esquire and a letter from your mother. Thank you, Postman. Postman, wait a minute. You mean you even get your mail here? 
Oh, yes. Oh, uh, Mr. Jellison. Yes, postman. You'd better fill out a change of address card. You've moved up two places since Thursday. <laughs> hey, Danny, I got your suitcases in the machine all taken care of. Didn't you get your ticket yet? No, and the way it looks, Lionel, I may never get on that plane. Oh, yes, you will. Somebody by the name of Stuyvesant who had a reservation can't go. He just got called back suddenly to his office. How did you find that out? I was eavesdripping. <laughs> well, who is this Stuyvesant? Oh, a big banker. Now, come on through this gate, Danny. Let's get you in on our plane. Just a second. You can't come through this gate unless you got a reservation. Oh, but you don't understand. Mr. Stuyvesant... Oh, Mr. Stuyvesant, we've been waiting for you. Oh, but I was trying to tell oh, you... Oh, don't that... worry, don't worry. We had instructions to save your seat until you came. Right this way, Mr. Stuyvesant. But coming, you... Mr. Stuyvesant? Huh? Right through this gate, Mr. Stuyvesant. But Lionel, I don't think I should take Mr. Stuyvesant's seat. Oh, stop worrying. If the seat fits, wear it. Uh, which one of you gentlemen is Mr. Stuyvesant? Mr. K is Mr. Stuyvesant. What? I said Mr. Stuyvesant's okay. Is uh, this Mr. Stuyvesant the banker? And whom none other. <laughs> well, I'm from the Daily Herald, and we'd like to know if there's anything you'd care to say before you take off. Yes. What? Goodbye. <laughs> That's the first portion of the Danny K Show. More after these words. More Hollywood 360 after these important messages. Come with us to the Caribbean on Royal Caribbean's newest ship, the Symphony of the Seas, February 16th through the 23rd. The largest passenger ship in the world offers 19 specialty restaurants. We're planning special events just for our group, including a cocktail party, a trivia contest, and auditions to win a starring role in our very own onboard live radio reenactment show. Kelly Cruises and Tourists is our exclusive travel partner. Visit kellycruises.com slash classic radio. Now back to the best in classic radio on Hollywood 360. Well, next time, it's the conclusion to the Danny K Show. Plus, we'll have part eight of our ten-part story, The Cobra King Strikes Back on Adventures by Morse. That's next time here on Hollywood 360. We'll see you then.